Hello, welcome to the Break the Mold podcast. I'm Tim Roberts, author of Break the Mold, leadership coach and host of this podcast. And this episode brings to you another brilliant guest. Yeah, I'm biased because they're my guests and I said it before everybody. I really, really mean that. Um, our guest today is an absolutely fantastic leadership expert. I, I, there you go. I've given him that title. And he's listening to this, you might be thinking, oh, why have you set that standard for me? I really, really mean that. And you will also feel that about this guest having listened to his interview. So look, let's get on with it then, shall we? So my guest today is Jack Stewart, who is Talent and Development Manager. Jack specialises in learning and leadership development, uh, facilitating and enabling company-wide leadership initiatives, one-to-one performance support, as well as challenging and supporting senior leadership teams. Perhaps the most important thing I need to say about Jack from his intro that he wrote himself is he leads a pretty normal but awesome life outside of work. Uh, he's a father and a husband, a keen enthusiast for all things music and football. Maybe that's why we get on. Uh, and Jack is a big, strong believer in following your passions and putting 100% into everything you do. And I can absolutely guarantee you Jack's put 100% into this interview. He's very honest, very open. He talks so articulately about leadership and really will make you think as a result of listening to this podcast, you know, during the interview and the things that I'm about to flag to you now really made me go away and really think about leadership and really challenged my views on some parts of leadership and made me helped me to see things differently. So Jack's interview will definitely do that for you. You're going to leave this interview really thinking about how you approach leadership, what your thoughts are, beliefs even around leadership and looking at how you can positively challenge them to be the leader that you want to be. I want to start off by just getting you to listen out uh, for when Jack talks about the moulds that people fit and how they are created by the culture of the organisation. He talks a great bit around the impact of the leader shapes who you are and get and will get you to think about the leaders you've worked with and the impact they've had and what that's done to shape the moulds that you've perhaps fitted in the past and you know there's a good challenge there already to think about what's the impact you're having as a leader that might be shaping the moulds that other people are fitting into so really pay attention to that and what's also great is how Jack then builds on that about thinking about how you can break those moulds so he talks about trust has to be at the heart of everything that you do and it's so so important and really talks about helping you to make sure that your negative perceptions don't become reality. He talks about how that can ruin trust for a lot of people and reminds us about work from a reality point of view to build that trust. And I love the term that Jack uses in interview. And this is something that really made me think about this is the human cost. So talks about when the human cost is too much on you, that's when you lose yourself. And what he's talking about there is as a leader, if we forget about the human cost and we just focus on results or people doing as you tell them to do or being going into this self-preservation mode and covering your arse, and what Jack calls out is actually think about the human cost. What is the human cost to the relationships in the way that you work and making sure that you never lose sight of that because that's when you lose yourself. If you lose sight of the human cost based on your behaviours and your attitudes and the relationships you build, that's when you truly lose yourself and stop being your true authentic self. And he, he talks about this from a point of view of operating within an environment that allows you to be at your very best. So particularly for leaders listening to this, 
what are you doing to build that environment that allows people to be at their very best and the flip side of that as well what jack talks about is making sure that you don't allow yourself or others to be the victim of the environment where you work and i think there's a lovely reminder in there about focusing on what's in your control you know yeah dickheads get a lot of air time in these podcast interviews and people might work in a culture where they're surrounded by dickheads and what jack reminds us of is you don't have to be like that you can create your own environment within that wider culture of your organization and don't allow yourself to be a victim of the environment that you work within and create that for yourselves and always focusing on creating an environment that allows you to be at your very very best um i love the way jack talks about leadership can be exhausting it's great you know and it's important because look me and jack work in the leadership development world so it's quite easy for us to talk about sometimes leadership is this and we believe leaders must do that and jack rightly reminds us it is bloody exhausting i mean to me leadership after being a parent is the second hardest job on earth and he talks about just reminding yourself of that, accepting that it's okay that it can be exhausting and looking at how you can make sure you always get the best out of yourself, even when at times it's exhausting. And what, what Jack talks about is reminding us it's exhausting from a very good point of view because it's exhausting because you listen to people, because you put time and energy into people, into understanding them, into helping them, into en- encouraging them and challenging them to be their best version of that they want to be of themselves. The final bit I just wanted to get to listen out for in Jack's interviews, where he talks about don't focus on being the leader you want to be and focus on being the leader that others need you to be. And I love there's a nice flip on that. And look, I talk often about being the leader you want to be, because that is hugely important. I love that what Jack calls out in there is, yeah, making sure that that leader you want to be is aligned to what the people around you need you to be for them. Because that's surely where the success of leadership lies. Because not many leaders, if any, get to choose their team. Most leaders take over a team that already exists. Yeah, you might recruit some people in, you might build a team, you might replace one or two of them as time uh, takes on. The reality is you as a leader, your success that comes with it and the happiness in it has to come, as Jack reminds being based on being the leader that the people you lead need you to be. So as you go into this interview, just think about that and think about how well you understand what people need you to be as a leader, what you can do as a result of this podcast to go and find that out and start to align yourself much more to being the leader that people need you to be. Right, I'm going to shut up, let you go and listen to the brilliant Jack Stewart and then I'll see you back here for the outro where I'll ask you some coaching questions to make sure you do something as a result of listening to the brilliant Jack Stewart. Jack Stewart, welcome to the Break the Mould podcast. How are you doing? Hiya, Tim. Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me along. Really, really excited to have a great conversation with you today. Top man, me too. This is one of the episodes I've been really looking forward to. So we'll uh, get stuck into it, shall we? Right. First question as always, Jack. What does being your true authentic self mean to you? So, yeah... Tim, such a great question, and you know I've been mulling over this question prior to the uh, to the podcast. So, 
a few things kind of jotted around my mind. I suppose it, to me personally, I suppose being your true authentic self means operating within the environment that allows me to be my very best. And conversely to that, I suppose not allowing myself to become victim of the environment. Yeah. And I suppose the people that restrict me of being my very best. And and I, I guess that that's pretty standard right now. You know, I'm sure for people who've been listening to your podcast, many of your guests will have shared something similar along those lines, you know, albeit with with their own spin on it. And I was watching a TED talk the other day by a chap called Julian Treasure. Okay, yeah. Uh, he does a pod. His um, TED talk is is quite a well known. One actually, it's called "How to Speak So Others Want to Listen," and he shared the importance of being authentic. And his definition of authentic was standing in your own truth. Yeah, I thought, wow, standing in my own truth. You know, what what does that really mean to me? And I suppose it, it means being true to yourself, doesn't it? It means being true to you, your values, your beliefs. Yeah. But I want to play devil's advocate with this response because I think you can be true to your own values and your own beliefs. And that is, I suppose, yes, being your true authentic self. But I want to bring the the leadership part into this conversation as well, because we have to recognize, I suppose, the dynamics, the intricacies. But, you know, dare I say it, my character flaws and my faults. So I, I have a certain way of operating and, you know, being that may allow me to be at my best, but being at my best and operating only how I want to operate might not necessarily create the right environment for others to be at their very yeah. best. And I think, is that not what leadership is all about? I think there's a lot to be said around me, my preferences, my values, my beliefs, and do they align to the values and beliefs of others and there's a there's a there's a terrific breakthrough point here you know i think ironically it's it's thinking about my needs and what they are but when you start to realize it's not just about me yeah it's about other people too you know that that's where the breakthrough point comes in and you know and it's all about trust isn't it you being true and authentic to yourself it's it's demonstrating that trust in yourself that you can be yourself. Yeah. But we know that trust is so, so important, isn't it? In terms of the leadership conversation as well, um, Tim, it, it is truly the be all and the end all when it comes to high performing teams and organizations. Trust underpins absolutely everything. Yeah. It, yeah, I think it's all right. We, as humans, we, we demand trust uh, and, and it, it's interesting because I, I don't think we necessarily overtly demand trust and perhaps we don't realize that we're demanding trust from others yet if a leader lies to you that breaks your trust if they shout at you in front of others that breaks your trust if they don't give you the feedback that you need from them if they don't hold others accountable for negative behaviors all of that absolutely destroys that trust so yeah you're absolutely right I know what, we'll come back to that around trust because and I really, I want to make sure as well, we talk about that point you made about devil's advocate and actually mm-hmm. being able to recognize your own values and beliefs and thinking about, yeah, actually, from a leadership point of view, making sure that we don't just think everyone else has to align to that. So I want to talk about yeah. that because 
funnily enough, I had an experience this week, which would be good an example to use. And I think it'd be great for people listening to this to, to just hear a bit more about how, how can leaders approach that and actually mm. what could help them to recognize that these are my values and beliefs and these might be the values and beliefs of others. You said something though, right at the start, Jack, that I think is really important is around that environment and for you to be a true authentic self by operating in the environment that allows you to pick the very best beautiful way of putting it thank you for referencing the ted talk about standing in our own truth again i think that's a really powerful message what you said though is about not being victim to the environment because mm. it is a really important point this because there's only so much we can influence the environment let's say so Tell me about either way you have felt victim to the environment or you've seen leaders in particular fall victim to that where they're not being their true authentic selves. Tell us about your experience and examples of that and how it impacts on people. Yeah, sure. I, I really wanted to talk about that kind of fit in the environment because it, it has so many parallels with, you know, your your concept breaking the mould. Yeah. So, you know, if I think about kind of the moulds that we've all, that we fit into and i suppose the question is you know how, how how do you break that well we've all fitted in mold at some point and i think you know we are all in our lives a victim at the, of the paradigm dynamics at the hands of others you know whether that is we talk about you know the micromanaging narcissistic boss who's always over yeah. your shoulder waiting for you to trip up waiting for you to have that opportunity where they can tell you no you've got it wrong or you have the, the team meeting where, you know, you're meeting your new line manager, you know, new boss, new CEO, whatever it is. And no one wants to really say what they really think yeah. for fear of making the wrong impression yeah. and for, for being a troublemaker. So we can quite easily fall victim of those molds and, and we, we've got to break them. And I suppose one of the, I've done a lot of reading on stuff like this. And there's a book that I definitely want to share with you a little bit later. I won't ruin the surprise, um, hey, of course. Um, but I have an opinion of molds, which is, you know, the molds are defined by the culture of the organization. That, that by definition is, quote, the way that we do things around here. Yeah. And so people can adapt well to that culture you know and they, they can adapt to the culture of the organization up until a point you know you described this you described it yourself there's some only so much influencing we can do there's only so much of the of the bar that can be stretched i.e you know we can adapt to the culture around us until it comes to a point where it conflicts with our own personal values and beliefs yeah so when i see a team line manager engaging in those behaviors or the organization stands for something actually is either different from what they said or is different from what i truly believe then it, it tends to do one of two things you know it either yeah. causes people to disengage they're along for the ride but they're not really here they're not really part of the organization you know we spoke already about um earlier today about you know some people are happy to just take the pay packet and yeah. and and you know because that's comfortable for them yeah. Or the other thing that people will do, you know, is that they'll make a decision. They'll they'll exit. You know, they'll they'll disengage. And I've yeah. got an example that I'd I'd really like to share. Actually, you know, from my own experience, is you know, it's a mold that I fitted to, and we've all had okay. them in our very early years as yeah. as leaders. So I, I was once guided by a leader who thought the best way to get things to done was, and you know, we can we can argue about whether this person is actually a leader because they did it so poorly. 
Okay. But actually, I think I think that there is something in that, you know, if you have any influence on people, you are a leader, whether you're a good one or a bad one. I think we yeah. can both agree on that for sure. Yeah. But this leader thought the best way to do things was to shout the loudest, tell people off when they got things wrong, oh, oh, and be damned sure to make an example um, so that others oh. didn't do the same. Yeah. It was all stick. It was no carrot. And ultimately... It was the, it's this prospect of fear that drove behaviours. Mm. And now you you got to imagine young Jack. You know, young Jack in his early career, um, that was kind of the only example that I had. Okay, in that yeah. in that moment, I thought this is the way to be successful because you know I've had no exposure of anything else. You know, it, it's truly that that I only knew what I knew. And you know, this manifested it in it manifested itself and you know when i do a lot of leadership and management training with people we have to have these conversations around good leaders bad leaders and and their impact on you because it shapes who we are and you know my my current i've I've got a very good friend she's my current line manager at the moment actually but um you know really good friend of mine lisa um she's introduced me a lot to the works of uh, dr stephen covey um, oh, yes. the book the yeah, 10 yeah. habits of highly effective people you know yeah. it's a game changer for, for for so many people and we we talked about perception being the driver of your reality i your perception is your reality yeah and so yeah my perception that i had had of this leader was this was how to lead and that was becoming my reality i knew that this was who i was becoming and and there's lots of external drivers behind that, Tim. So, yeah, the pressure was on me to deliver results. It was that kind of business. It was results that was all that mattered. Almost no matter the human cost. Yeah. And I think the human cost to me, the human cost to others, it, it didn't really matter. And I think when the human cost is too great on yourself, that's when you lose yourself. Yes. And there's so much to be said on recognizing that i was fitting in a a mold it wasn't the right mold because the impact was terrible on myself of course yes i didn't realize it at the time but the impact on other people and i and i had you know i had you know people you know people external to that business you know there was reputation going around or you know you're not a very nice person to work for you know and i'll genuinely share that with people and i didn't think that at the time i thought i was professional i thought i got things done yeah and maybe there was some truth in that because, you know, some people didn't like the fact that it was the results and people were actually being managed. But it did make me realize, I thought, well, were there times in my career where you know, actually I wasn't doing things the way that I should have done? Uh, and I was definitely fitting a mold there, Tim, um, for sure. And I, I would really like to be able to say that you know, I, I broke the mold there and then, but I didn't. Yeah, that's, that's not how life works, is it? Um, you know, I, 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 as so many people do, you, you, time and reflection heals so many wounds. And yeah, am I ashamed of it? No, I think that was part of my journey. Would I do it differently again? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's this something that's really important to me around when you're trying to be the best that you can be. It's this notion of learning. You know, I'm a learning and development practitioner, so you know, I firmly believe in walking the walk as much as talking the talk so it's this notion of learning but reinventing yourself and that 
I've identified that underpins my, you know, core beliefs. I, I see it in everything I do. And now I feel like I've, I've hit the breakthrough point, you know, it's using your perspective and then to help others to recognize when they're fitting molds yeah, and asking them the, the question to realize it. Cause I can't tell them, I can't go, you're fitting into a mold here or, you know, you're just, yeah, you, you, you're acting in a bullshit way actually. Yeah. Cause they'll go, yeah. Okay. Actually we need to get, we need to shape their perspectives and yeah. you do that through reflection, but you do that by asking the right questions. And that's where, you know, you and I are so aligned on our view on the power of coaching as a tool to, you know, yes. unlock people's potential to help get people to be the very best that they can be. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jack. There's so many things that I want to talk to you about in what you just said there. <laughs> First of all, thank you for sharing that personal experience in, yeah, you know, mate, I completely empathise. I can completely relate to it. I'm really pleased that you've had that experience because it has allowed you to learn from it. And I think what what's brilliant about what you're talking about, because people are still doing that. They're still shouting at people. They're, they're still making an example of people. There might be people listening to this thinking either they used to do it or they're about to spend the day with somebody who does that, or they spent the day with somebody who does that. You know, again, we were talking about this off air, but it's people in it. So unfortunately there are still people who are doing that. I think what's brilliant about what you're sharing there is it's a reminder, whilst this is not an excuse or it makes it okay, it's a brilliant reminder that actually the people who are doing that could be the victim of the culture. So the mm. boss that you worked for that set that tone for you, he, he was able to get away with that. So as a human being, it's that classic thing, isn't it? Well, actually, if I do something, even though I don't feel particularly great about it, if, if nobody tells me off, if nobody holds me accountable, well, I'll keep doing it because that suggests yeah. it's all right. It's that bizarre part of human behavior and until you get that self-awareness piece. And I think it's also a great reminder for people listening to this as well of when you, even when you might be faced with that kind of leader, as hard as it is, challenge yourself to look at it from that person's perspective and i'll explain the reasons yeah. for that and it was your mention of covey i mean i'm like fully paid up member of that man's fan club i love that guy yeah mm. i've said it before that book changed my life because that was the time when i was working for incompetent ian so i mentioned him in the book and <laughs> my god that man used to piss me off something royal it was unbelievable and I would get really frustrated and I'd allow it to ruin my day. I'd take it out on others. I'd give mm -hmm. up. I'd go home and moan to my wife. I'd lose sleep over it. You know, it was just a nightmare. And what changed was reading the book, Seven Habits, because it made me stop and go, how am I judging this person? And actually allowed me to take a step back and go, whilst it doesn't mean I have to um, copy any of his behaviors or that I have to do everything that he says, what it allowed me to do was take a step back and go, what's going on for him? And it made me realize, to use your term, he was probably the biggest victim of the environment I've mm -hmm. ever worked with. Wow. Just and, and completely unaware of it and could get away with whatever he wanted and, you know, all these other things. And when I realized that, it made sure I didn't take it home with me. I didn't take it personally. I started yeah. to show empathy towards him. What I started to do was take the autonomy that came from his incompetence because he basically didn't have a frigging clue what I was doing and he gave me a budget. So I got on with it for the good of the organization and the good of the leaders there. And Ian was just sat in his office 
talking shite to other people who are just probably <laughs> pissing off. Yeah. So that's, it, when you look at it from the other perspective, it allows you to break free a little bit. And, and I, you know, that that's what I felt you were describing there is that you can recognize you were influenced by that leader. And that's okay yeah. because you're out. I like what you said about the impact of the leader shapes who you are. I, that's a really, really powerful way of putting it. Mm. So let me, I want to come back to something you said before, because I think this is really important because, and I think everything you talked about there backs this up where you said about, it's really important for us. You you use the example of standing in your truth. Yeah. Where it can be a challenge is where I might have my values and beliefs as the leader and my team have different values and beliefs. Yeah. And it's not up to me to impose mine on them. And that's where sometimes we can lose ourselves a bit or we can get frustrated so what what can a leader do to help with that, Jack? What it, When a leader understands their own values and beliefs, what can they do to understand their teams, to build that culture, that environment where it's okay that my value is this and your value is that? What can they do to really build that right environment? That's a really interesting question, isn't it? And I think that there is a lot of learning in, in that around that people do have different values and beliefs. And something I really strongly believe in and and yeah there's a there's a lot to be said around where an organization that paints four words on a wall and and calls them values actually does that describe what actually goes on in the organization yeah. and I can I can tell you now you know Yes, I think they're important, but are they an accurate representative representation of the culture? Chances are probably not. Like 90% of organizations probably have the word integrity yeah. in their values. Do we really think that all organizations are in demonstrate integrity in hundred percent of everything they do? If only, absolutely. I I think it comes down to having those genuine conversations, Tim. And it's an acceptance that people are different from you. There's a great quote from a chap called M. Scott Peck, who said that proper listening requires a setting aside of oneself. Yeah. And I think it's not just in terms of listening, but actually how you can set yourself aside. I think it's the recognition, sorry, that leadership is just no longer about you anymore. It's about other people. So, yes, you may have strong values, strong beliefs and be hugely convicted in the fact that, that, you know, they've shaped who you are. But if you're a true lifelong learner, I suppose, if you go through life realizing that every moment is a learning opportunity and you learn continuously, it's the recognition that actually my way of doing something may not always be the best way. Yeah. And there's another great book. I'm, I think there's a, there's a few books that I think we're going to quote here, um, Tim. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the advice trap from Michael Bungay, Stanier. Oh yeah, great book. And you know, and I think there's there's a, I'm paraphrasing here, but there's a great quote in here, which is that you know your advice is nowhere near as good as you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true, isn't it? So, you know, yeah. what is it about the fact that when we become managers and leaders, that means that we have to know everything and we have to impart our advice and tell thing, tell people how to do things. Yeah. Whereas actually, you know, if we hire great people, then we should find ways to unleash that talent. And we do so by allowing them to be their very best. So if, if, as, if a team has a particular way of working, 
that they feel is great. Yeah. And, you know, let, let's let them use that. And I think the role of the leader then changes to no longer be one of being to tell, to dictate, but actually to guide, to support, to get them the place where they need to go. And there's another concept that's just come to my head, actually. It's in, again, it's in this book that I'm going to share with you that I'm not going to talk about yet because I want to <laughs> wait for the opportune moment. Um, but this this book uh, leans into the work of uh, the great Sir Clive Woodward of the England yeah, rugby yeah. team in 2003. Yeah. And Sir Clive talks about this concept called teamship. So teamship is a concept where... It's the team, not the manager, who comes up with their kind of agreed ways of working, their rules, yeah. their constraints, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And it's not the down for the leader to decide what that should look like. Actually, the group decides. For any learning and development practitioners who are kind of listening on, on this podcast as well, actually, it's a, it's a concept called contracting. Yes. We do it in training exercise. You know, sometimes we'll stand at the, at the front of the of the training room and open up the flip chart and go, right, these yeah. are the ground rules. This is what time lunch is going to be. These are our learning objectives. Um, turn your mobile phones off, all that sort of stuff. When I've done things like action learning, so co- you know, uh, action learning groups, anything to do with like group coaching in, you know, in a setting, I've tried to avoid that and try to engage in that contracting piece whereby, so folks, you know how you normally come along to a workshop and I tell you what's going to happen? Yeah not going to do that today you're going to decide and i'm going to guide you on what is what i think is perhaps right or where we should go but i'm always going to phrase that as a question yeah and so maybe there's something to be said around how much leaders are entering a contracting state of mind establishing that psychological contract rather than dictating what needs to be done so me saying right this is the strategy. This is what we're going to do. Oh, by the way, this is all, this is exactly how I'd like you to behave because this is what I believe in. We would, it's not, we, we wouldn't always see that within an organization. We wouldn't see it as painted as clearly as that, but it happens. Leaders do say, this is what I want from you. And this is what I expect. And this is exactly how you should do it. Yeah. Which as you and I both know, has all the ingredients of a non-trusting micromanaging line manager. Yeah. So I, I strongly believe in, and there's lots of great work by uh, Eric Byrne on psychoanalysis, yes. um, transactional analysis. Yeah. Yeah, he came up with the three P's of contracting, which I have to remind myself of psychological, professional and practical. But I use those every, when, I, when I think, you know, if there's any environment that I'm entering in where the group needs to own it, how can I use my three P's here? And how can yeah. I ask the right questions around those three P's to help them? get where they need to go so i know we've probably kind of talked very very loosely around it but i think it kind of in answer to your question when someone has contrasting values and beliefs it doesn't mean you should give up on them i think it's about having the right conversations um to to get because conversation is the it's the lubrication of learning and development yeah conversation is what's going to get you from here to there conversation is what's going to unleash someone's potential yeah thanks jack the, the listening piece you talked about, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really great way for people to hear that about putting yourself aside because yeah, that's where a lot of judgments come from. It's where people then don't listen. So they start giving the advice. 
because they've made the mind up before Jack starts talking that Jack needs to do this, this is what's wrong, when the reality is you're right, put yourself aside, listen to it from Jack's point of view, and that allows, particularly as a leader, it allows them to understand your values, your beliefs, it allows you to, it allows them to understand your perception of what's going on, and then allows them to decide, okay, do I need to give some guidance, or... Mm -hmm. Can I continue to coach and can I continue to ask Jack some questions to help Jack to come up with his own solutions? And yeah. your contracting piece, yeah, it's phenomenal, isn't it? The, the importance of it. And I think it's a great way. You know, I asked you there about how can leaders understand that around different values and beliefs. And I think the contracting piece is a great example of it and allows them to understand that actually, from Jack's beliefs, this is what he's willing to contract to and this is what yeah. I'm willing to contract to. And you're right. I, I think the, so for leaders in organizations, building that ability and the courage to have those contracting conversations, and they need to be part of it mm-hmm. and, and helps them, you're right, to build that environment. And of course, if I contract to something and I then don't do it and I'm called out, I'm much more likely to take accountability because I was there when we agreed to do that. Like you yeah. say, it's not the leader saying, you must do this, you must do that. And I think yeah, I love the way you called out the values piece. You know, I, I'm a big believer actually in every organisations need values. I totally believe with, uh, in that. Mm. I think the link that gets missed, and this is what I do a lot of organisations and teams, is then allowing teams to say, okay, these are our values as a collection of people. We have agreed that these are our core values. This is how they align to the organisational values. And then within that culture, this is what I did with a team this week where there was four teams from within one team. They all created everything that they wanted for their own team. And we talked then about, okay, they might be different. Yeah, actually, if I'm working with you, what I need to do is consider they're the behaviors that you've said you're going to contract to. So they might be yeah. different to me and my team. Yet what I can do is come to your meeting. And if you don't demonstrate those behaviors, that's what I hold you accountable to. Not what we've said, because there's then that ability to have the confidence and remember Whatever mm. people's values are, whatever attitudes and behaviors they contract to, to do it, they are decent human values. So even though I might have trust, integrity, honesty, and somebody else might have mm. different to that, actually, when I have the confidence and I believe that they're going to behave that way and I hold them accountable when they don't, mm. it builds that culture and it doesn't matter if they might be a little bit different. So I, absolutely. you're absolutely right, Jack, that contracting piece, that listen, it's so important, isn't it? Yeah. I, I want to ask you about trust. Um, I may want to challenge you a bit on this actually with a okay. particular question because I want us kind of put it in a bit of context really because you're right, we touched on this earlier, it's so important and it can be difficult for leaders to talk about trust, I, I, I believe. I, I, I think everybody has the ability to do the things that build trust because they're a human and you know everyone will have a best mate or a close friend or a partner or whatever it is that they've clearly built trust with. So what I want to ask you, Jack, is is thinking about this from a listener point of view and where I want to challenge is, because I want to put it in the context of a leader who has been leading a team for, let's just for argument's sake, say five years. So they're settled with that team and they're doing all right. The performance is great. Yet within that team, they've got a mixture of people who are relatively new, Mm -hmm. which experience has taught me that can be easier to build trust with them because you're on a new footing. So start as you mean to go on, have the conversations. They've got some people in that team who've perhaps been there for 
half of the time they've been a leader and some of the trust is established. There's also some doubts in their mind. There's just little bits that have gone on that have frustrated him. And then you've also got people who've been in the team all of the time and the trust just isn't where it needs to be. It's not completely broken, but you know, they've got people in the team who might challenge them what feels like for the sake of it, or they don't come up with new ideas and they're resistant to change, you know, all the kind mm-hmm. of classic Neggy Nellies as they get called. So what I want to ask you, Jack, is how could a leader in that situation where they can't rip up everything and start afresh with a new team, Yeah, what can they do to really start to build trust with that kind of team? What are the kind of conversations that they could have to re-establish and build trust collectively with that type of team yeah it's a great question tim and i think it's the reality that a lot of people are facing isn't it yeah. not everyone has the opportunity to well i've cocked it up with this team so i'll, I'll just move over to yeah. this team <laughs> it doesn't work actually a lot, most people are, are in that state of flux and they, they need to find a way well they're, they're just constantly battling the day-to-day challenges I suppose if I'm going to dip into advice giving mode for a minute here, yeah, it's and I'm going to say in quite, I don't want to say an overly philosophical here, but it's almost that notion of recognizing it's never too late. It's never a point at which you, you know you've broken the trust and it's absolutely irreparable, you know, beyond repair. That's very rarely the case. I'm not going to say never because I think that there are some circumstances whereby. Yeah there's such a contravention of fundamentally how people should behave with one another that actually some individuals go so far, how can you ever rebuild it? But I think it's that recognition of, you know, I'm a human, I'm a human being, I'm authentic and and vulnerable and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and, you know, making those mistakes. And we, we had the, we've this, there's this notion around leadership in the fact that it's the biggest it's the perhaps probably the single most difficult career transition you'll ever make going yeah. into that first leadership role in particular, because it's that recognition of it's no longer about you. It's no longer you being a doer or an operator. Actually, you're you're taking on an immense responsibility and a privilege. So my my kind of key advice is is that you know leaders need to be able to take the time to stop and to reflect. They need to build this piece around self-awareness. And actually, when we talk about paradigm shifts here again, again, something else that leaders need to think about is because we talk quite often about what kind of leader do you want to be? Yeah. And I'm going to rephrase that kind of sentence there. Instead of being focused on the leader that you want to be, focus on being the leader that others need you to be. And that's where you'll start to build trust again. Yeah. If you, and it links back into everything we've talked about already. You've got to break the mold. You've got to set aside yourself for a moment. And you've got to focus on the people within your sphere of influence, within your sphere of control. What is it they need from me to be at their very best? And that's the makings of high performing teams, isn't it? Is where, you know, the, it starts with you as the line manager thinking about what can I do to make them successful? Whether that's the way I set objectives, the kind of career conversations I'm having with people, um, when I'm talking to them about their piece of work that they've, they've had going on the last few weeks, that major project, or indeed, where are your career amb- ambitions? Where, where is it you want to go? 
always setting it from the point of perspective of it's about them and how I can help them. Yeah. And there's some great, there's some I I see hear a lot from Simon Sinek talking about the qualities of great leaders are the leaders who can help the person to their left and to their right. Yeah. It's not about them. It's actually how can they, you know, dig up the energy and the courage to be able to help the person that's next to them, rather than being focused on them and building their credibility and showing off their lists of achievements. Actually, it's not about them. It's about their team. And when I talk to, um, when I do workshops, whether it's leadership, non-leadership, and the conversation around trust comes up, when I remember to anyway, <laughs> there's always this concept that comes up, which is the the trust equation. Yeah. And if anyone's got a, anyone's listening to this and you've got a piece of paper, you know, feel free to write it down. I think that helps. Yeah. But the trust equation goes as follows. It's trust. And that's equal to C for credibility plus R for reliability plus I for intimacy. And that is all divided by or underpinned by your level of self-orientation or self-interest. So credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, all of which is divided by self-orientation. So it doesn't matter how credible you are. It doesn't matter to what extent you're showing people that you're reliable, that you can be counted on. Or it doesn't even matter to what extent you're a great communicator and you can build great relationships with others. You can talk the talk. If you are only seen to be acting out in your self-interest or conversely, not in the interest of your teams, that undermines trust. Yeah. And that's a real key learning moment for people is that it's not just about building my list of achievements. It's not just about kind of doing what I say or will do. It's actually everything else as well. It's all about my behaviors and how much I make people feel involved and engaged and valued and included. And if I'm not doing that as a leader, then they're not going to trust me. They're not going to believe and work towards the purpose that I'm setting out for, for this team as well. So there's lots of different natures of trust and things that underpin it. And what we know, Tim, I think actually it's quite easy to build trust, isn't it? Yeah. We're human beings. If you look people in the eye, if you communicate well, if you're clear, if you come across as confident and you are seen to be acting in people's interest, then you will build trust with people. Yeah. But it takes a fraction of a second to break it. It yeah. takes not a long time at all to break that trust. And it's so difficult to rebuild it for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Jack. That's really valuable for people listening to this in terms of sharing that trust equation. And I think like, you know, I, I, I kind of impose the context of that question and you're right. It's never too late to build or rebuild that trust. And, you know, we also know that actually, like you said, as long as it's not gone, way beyond the ability to rebuild that trust because again as humans we know that that sometimes it's broke beyond repair yeah for most people we're not there actually when it gets to that point somebody probably leaves the team because mm -hmm. they just can't do it anymore so you're right it's never too late to do it and i think what you're talking about there is around that equation there's actually a nice thing in the, from a bit of self-reflection for people listening to this that if they could relate to that example we built that around actually yeah just challenging yourself and going yeah what is my credibility with this team? Actually, do I know what they need from me to be able to feel they can rely upon me? Yeah. 
And that's, yeah, from an intimacy point of view, how good is my communication? Actually, how effective is it? Are the team meetings running about a bit of steam? Are the one-to-ones working as they should do? Mm. Am I emailing too much versus actually picking up the phone? Is there really nice ways yeah. that they're using that to self-assess? Yeah. I think, like I said, the self-orientation in there even is a good question. People to this is how clear are they on that, on their purpose, yeah. on where they want to go? And I love, you said something there, Jack, that's really, really important about don't focus on being the leader you want to be and focus on being the leader others need you to be. Um, beautiful way of putting it. I'd also suggest, actually, and I'd never probably thought of it this way, actually, is, I, when you said that, what it made me think about is, yeah, actually, when leaders are able to be the leader that others need them to be, I would suggest over time that then would really allow the leader to be the leader they want to be. Absolutely. Because it's on that foundation of trust, isn't it? And then people will back them when they might want to make changes or they might want to make different decisions or they just want to have different conversations or build a culture because there's that foundation of trust because I know you will be the leader I need you to be in these moments when it's really important to me. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. Right. I think we've set this up beautifully then, mate, because I'm going to ask that question now that I ask everybody in series two. Yeah. Uh, we'll do this in this order. We'll do one at a time. So I'm going to ask you, what must the leader always do, sometimes do, never do? So let's first chat. Let's do what must a leader always do? So something a leader must always do. And I think this is and this is quite a difficult thing. And I think this is what makes leadership so exhausting. And it's tied into everything that we've said already, which is give more than they take. So we have to stop and remember for a moment that leadership is exhausting. There's a reason yeah. why the jump from being the operator, the doer, only being responsible for your own work to being a leader is perhaps the biggest career move you'll ever make. Yeah. And it's because, and you you know this as much as I do, Tim, that leadership requires time, it requires energy and yes. personal sacrifice. And I'm going to lean back into that notion that Simon Sinek shares, which is, you know, if great leaders are the ones who are asking the question of how can I help the person next to me? Or it might be the person opposite the table for me. How can I help this yes. person? That's exhausting. So leaders have to give more than they can take. And, you know, the reason that I say that is because what makes great leaders is great leaders making other great leaders. Yeah. Great leaders focus relentlessly on how they can create the leadership talent or leadership competency within other people. It's not just about how they lead, but how they can ask the right questions to get others to lead themselves and to lead others. So yeah. leadership requires that very clear understanding of self but the willingness to stop and ask the right question rather than share what they think and that asking the right question helps take teams from cultures of high dependency so being in that culture of i need to wait to be told by my line manager what i need to do next yes. through to that culture of independence so the line manager is asking those great coaching questions and the person goes away with that idea of, okay, this is how I best think I could do my work today. Right through to that final state. And, and these three terms, dependence, independence, and inter, interdependence is something I've coined from Sir John Whitmore, you know, the, the godfather of coaching. Of course, yeah, yeah. And 
he talks about inter interdependence as being this notion of being truly successful together. Yes. And this links all back into the stuff that we talked about earlier around, you know, around teamship, you know, Clive Woodward's teamship concept, allowing allowing the group for them to decide their best way of working. I think there's a lot to be said around how much energy it takes to be a leader, and it's a hell of a lot, and we yeah. know that. It makes it easier if you're not constantly having to micromanage and thinking about not just your job, but everyone else's. Yeah. But leaders must always operate with the mindset of how can I give more than I, than I can take from the team? How can I help this person rather than, you know, um, what can I what can I do to tell them um, yeah. the best way to do it? Yeah, brilliant stuff. I, I really like what you said before about leadership takes time, energy, and personal sacrifice. Mm. And and I really appreciate you actually reminding us that leadership is exhausting because I think sometimes it and I and I make sure. I, well, I I would like to suggest I be very careful around this when I'm working with leaders because there can be a train of thought where people think leadership's easy or it's the most important thing or other people in organizations think, oh, it's all right for the boss because they get to do this. And you're right, actually, it is exhausting. And I think that bit about personal sacrifice is a great thing to raise on here because, yeah, it's perhaps not talked about enough. It's perhaps organizations probably aren't brave enough to say, so, Jack, mm. you, you know, you're applying for this team leadership position. What what personal sacrifice are you willing to make to make your team a success and to help them? We, we don't ask that question because, of course, what we want to do is find the leader who's going to sort the team out or find yeah. the leader who'll do this. And, yeah, I think it's a brilliant thing to make people stop and think about what is that personal sacrifice that they're willing to make. It doesn't have to be life-changing. It doesn't have to be to the detriment of your family and your <laughs> personal time. Actually, yeah. it could be the personal sacrifice, linking it back to the coaching bit, the personal sacrifice might be, I'm willing to overcome my fear of letting Jack decide what happens next. I'm yeah. willing to trust him, even though he's made mistakes in the past. My personal sacrifice is, mm. I will allow that person to have a go, and my personal sacrifice is, I'll deal with my own fears and my own beliefs, so it doesn't stop others. That, to me... I think could be around the personal sacrifice. So yeah, it's a brilliant thing to make people think about because I say I, I don't think we talk about it enough because maybe we're afraid to say you're going to be bloody knackered as a leader. You're going to have to really graft. You're going to have to really put your heart and soul into this. Yeah, there's rewards and everything else like that. Are you up for it? Yeah. How and ready actually, are you for that? And actually, things won't always go right. There's this lovely image <laughs> yeah. that, well, there's, there's there's contrasting images. You know, some people think that leadership is, you know, um, sipping, you know, mar martinis on a, on a on a sunny beach, and it's absolutely <laughs> not that case. And other people have this hellish kind of perspective of leadership that, oh, it, I'm just constantly picking up after the mistakes of my team, or yeah. I'm constantly having difficult conversations. And it's neither. It's, yeah. it's it can feel like that sometimes, probably because humans are hardwired to remember pain and fear more than other emotions. But yes. yeah, it can feel bloody hard, and it can feel like as though that nothing's going your way. But there's there's an immense privilege of being a leader as well as a responsibility. I think to be a leader, to have the careers, the, you know, other people's careers within your sphere of influence is a tremendous privilege and yeah. we shouldn't forget that 
but also it's a tremendous responsibility and we're so focused on getting it right first time and it doesn't happen. Yeah. Sorry, folks, just to paint a real clear picture, it doesn't happen right first time all the time. And that that's life yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, and even if somebody was in their view to think to get it right first time, there's that strength of being able to look back and go, well, what's helped me here? Mm. You know, what, what what's made that? Or also that ability to think it might not always be that way. And yeah. this isn't about frightening people or making these about to be this worst job because you're so right, it is a privilege, you know, mate. That means that somebody is deciding you're the right person to have an impact on somebody's life, ultimately, because work impacts on life and how people feel about themselves. So you're right, it, which is a, that's a massive privilege, isn't it, when you, when you think about it, actually you're being trusted to have an impact on people's lives. Yeah. Right. Awesome stuff, Jack. So next up, mate, what must a leader sometimes do? I think sometimes it pays massive dividends just to take a moment. And I think we a lot of leaders fail to do that is to stop, think, pause, reset, reflect. And the reason I say that, and, I, and I've come for, I've worked in lots of very corporate organizations. So and I know you have Tim as well, so you'll know better than anyone that it's very easy in the corporate world to just get in the, up, caught up in the thick of it, yeah. to be pressured into moving faster, to moving longer, to have loftier ambitions, and to just move on and on and on to the next thing. And this is something I observe leaders doing quite a lot is that they just don't take enough of a moment to stop and just smell the roses for a moment. Yeah. If we never stop, how can we ensure that our ladder is leaning against the correct wall to use another Stephen Covey quote there for a moment. Yeah. And I think that's so, so important. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to, I'm going to use Clive Woodward's work here again. He, in this book that I'm going to share the magic title with you very soon. Um, he talks about um, how leaders analyze successes and failures. And most leaders, perhaps 90% of leaders will um, glaze over their successes and then overanalyze their failures. They'll yeah. go, yay, big party, celebrate, we close the big deal, back on a Monday morning, great, on to the next one. And when something goes wrong, they, they stop, they overanalyze, they, they criticize, they're critical of people, of process. How did we you know, cock this up so immensely? And when Clive Woodward was being in interviewed after a particular distressing England loss I won't get lost in the details on that but it was a particularly distressing England loss I think the question was asked something along the lines of you know how are you going to come back from this defeat and he yeah. responded by saying we're just going to move on we'll just move on because defeat happens that's part of life and I'm yeah. paraphrasing here for a moment and I think there's a yeah. it's really important that you know we, we pick ourselves back up we stop, we respond, we reflect and we respond. We think about maybe what things have, have gone wrong, but we move on very quickly. Yeah. And actually what Clive Woodward does, he does the opposite. So when his team win, a lot of teams may, for example, they'll, they'll be celebrating in the dressing room. They might go out for a few drinks on a Friday. I don't know. But there's not many teams that actually sit down and dissect the reasons why they were successful. Yeah. And actually, to stop and pause and reflect, we don't do that often enough. And I think rarely 
we even more rare, rare than that is we fail to stop and think about what's made us successful. So analyze yeah. our successes and how can we repeat some of those successes going forward? Yeah. And I think there's just a little bit more to be said on this notion of just slowing down and stopping and reflecting for a moment because behavior breeds behavior. So as a leader, if you are always action oriented, you're always focused on the next big project. What does that then do for the behavior of the people around you? They will do the same. And yeah. what tends to come out of that is with a particularly fast pace of work, almost feels relentless onto the next thing. You know what you get, you get anxiety, you get stress, you get anger, and ultimately you get burnout. Yeah. So there's, times as leaders where we have to speed up there's times when we have to have to slow down and i got a really great piece of advice from um a, a new colleague you know going into a new job i asked kind of the the question of what's the one piece of advice you'd give um to be successful and he said slow down i hadn't even yeah. started yet and he said slow down <laughs> he said <laughs> slow down to speed up and I said, I think I know what you mean. And he, he, he said, you've got to understand this business. You've got to ask the right questions. You've got to understand the context. And I think because we operate at such a lightning pace, because the world around us pressures us to do so, yeah, that actually we need to stop and slow down and take a moment to pause and reflect. So, that, you know, that that's great advice. I think leading others requires balance. Yeah. So being balanced means working at pace when you need to but slowing down when you need to and taking care of yourself as much as it uh is a, as much as it is about taking care of others too yeah thank you i, I, I love that somebody said to you slow down not even got yeah. going yet just slow down <laughs> you are it's so important isn't it and i, and I think that bit you said about just just take a moment stop smell the roses great encouragement for people listening to this and it, i think you bit the example you said about clive woodward actually is really interesting about we've had that defeat move on because it's it's really brave that isn't it because uh, when he said that no doubt it probably went back to the studio with a pundit who probably went yeah i don't think you could just move on from this clive i think yeah. you've got to do this <laughs> and i bet those players won't move on and the, you know it, it's, people probably railed against it because we searched for an explanation maybe we think i'm a big manchester united fan i thought Unfortunately, that we lose more often than we win these days. So it feels like we're just not <laughs> bloody hell. If, if, if when we lose, if Ten R came out and said we move on, it, it, all these pillocks on social media and in the press had want him undrawn and quartered. Yeah. So it is brave to be able to go. Okay, it's not going as well as we'd like. Let's move on. And I, I, I really grateful that you shared that because I think it's really powerful for people listening to this. And you're right; it's that ability to stop and go. This mm. month's gone well. We, we've achieved a KPI or we've achieved this target or we've we've achieved this project or we're on track, whatever the success might be, is just taking a moment, right? Just to stop and say, okay, what's worked well? And actually what 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 supported us that was outside of our control? Yeah. So did things naturally happen that helped it to go well? Right. Okay. When's that not going to be the case? Mm. And you're also looking at what did we particularly do? Was there an individual contribution? contribution get the word right soon <laughs> or have we worked consistently well for 12 months that's got us there i do i just want to ask you something about this actually because it made me think when you were talking about that um around 
how much of that, and I'll explain what I mean by this, but how much of the lack of us stopping and assessing why things have gone well and why we won um, in organisations might be down to a lack of recognition that means people don't stop and think, yeah, how did I contribute to that success? So what, what I mean by that is in a in a sports team, the recognition is obvious, either from your manager, your coach, your teammates, the fact you've picked up a medal and there's 50,000 people cheering your name and the press going mad and sponsors yeah. falling over themselves to give you a shitload of cash and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> in an organisation, often the recognition goes upwards, i.e., We've had a really good month, but the only bit of feedback we get is somebody on the board telling us we've made a profit, uh, the, as in the company has made a profit. Yeah. And it, it doesn't always get identified as Jack's team did this specifically, or what we want to do is recognise this leader because they've stepped out and they've worked really hard. It's mm. often a bit of a, cheers, mate, the shareholders will be happy. You know, I'm, I'm d- mm. dumbing it down mm. to a corporate level there. But what... How much do you think that might contribute to it so that we, we do move on because actually nobody really recognizes it anyway? How, how much do you think that might stop yeah, us recognizing what we do? Well? I, I I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think there's definitely a factor. I think there's a much bigger conversation that we, you know, if we had the time, we could definitely get into it here, which was around, you know, what's the stuff that organizations are actually measuring? Yeah. And is that is that the right stuff? You know, we talk about KPIs. You know, are they truly indicative of how well a team is performing and actually what's not being said within those particular measures? I think it's a really valid point. I think a lot of recognition, recognition does happen. In some teams, it doesn't happen. There's just this constant pressure of, right, it's on to the next thing now. I observe it. You know, in the organisation that I'm, you know, I, I have been in, well, I'm in now at the time of recording this podcast as well, but, you know, things are changing very shortly, uh, which we'll talk about. But, um, you know, I observe it regularly, you know, changing priorities, shifting priorities, moving the goalposts is, you know, another phrase that we can use. Yeah. And how that drives frustration. Yeah. Lots of frustration. Yeah. People can't even set very clear, meaningful, smart objectives. If when they know that cynical view in them knows that in two months time, it's going to be totally different anyway. Yeah. And so, you know, how can we then start to measure and manage performance uh, in in the right way? I I, I do think that recognition or the way we recognize performance or the lack of recognition in some aspects definitely drives some of these behaviors. But I also think it's a lot of the kind of external pressures that drive some of these behaviors as well. If that's poorly articulated um, vision, if not yeah. knowing where we're going as an organization, shifting priorities, there's there's a lot of things there that can drive this inability to stop and take a moment and to reflect. But I think the one key thing that a leader can do is actually operate with this learning mindset. Okay. So to actually recognize that learning is a day-to-day part of work. And yeah. it's and this is something I've been campaigning incredibly strongly for in my current organization. I've done it in organizations in the past whereby you know you, you don't learn by sitting in a classroom all day by yeah. Jack telling you about these theories and models. It doesn't work. It's a very small part of the journey. What 
is more conducive to learning is your experience. Yes. It's what you actually experience as a, as an individual and what you then learn from that. So managers have to be able to have the conversations which create the learning environment for people. Managers have to be able to ask the right questions. So when someone makes a mistake, rather than asking the question of why did that go wrong? My first question might be, okay, so what have you learned? Yeah. And there's all sorts of different useful, reflective, leading, learning questions that we can ask in and around that. But by leaning into what someone has learned rather than the mistake itself, you drive forward the learning mindset. You know, you yes. drive forward the hunger that people will have to go and find new challenges to stretch themselves, to engage in conscious reflection, to identify specific actions that they can take so you know i've made this mistake i've learned this so this is what i plan to do but then go and do it and that's the other side of it is actually committing to action and that's the role of that's another role that the manager takes we talked about lots of different roles that managers take here yeah. but as well as the coach you know part of that coaching role is the ma of the manager is to facilitate learning yeah. which is why i as a learning and development professional routinely say to people I am not the one responsible for learning. That just happens to be my specialism. It just happens yeah. to be what I'm good at. But I'm not responsible for for learning. You, you are. You know that yeah. you are accountable and ultimately responsible for how what you learn and how you learn and what you draw from particular situations and how that then ultimately changes and influences your behaviour in the future. Yeah. Ah. Uh Fucking love it, mate. Yeah, the learning bit is so important. And you're right, nobody else is responsible for your learning. And I think you're right to talk about a leader facilitating that. And yeah, I think that, you know, that that to me really hammers on what we're talking about here is actually when leaders stop and learn about that experience, they'll recognize the need for them to recognize the team. They'll recognize mm -hmm. that actually I need to recognize myself that we've done well this month. Good. Yeah, I'm going to go out and enjoy myself. Or I'm just going to give myself a pat on the back and I'm going to learn from it and then be ready for it next month. And I think you said something about the stat about what organizations measure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's a really great, I'd say it's probably one of the best challenges actually that's been said on any episode to the listeners of this, of stopping and thinking, yeah, what are you measuring? And yeah, how much does it actually matter? You know, I, I mean, I'll give away a bit of the trick of the tree, really, but I, I obviously work and speak to other coaches and stuff. And, Sometimes they'll say to me, oh, I, I, I get really panicked when people say to me, how will we measure, you know, how well the coaching's worked? And I was going to say to them, well, why don't you coach them in that moment? Because my response is, oh, when I get asked, how will we measure it? My response is always, well, how do you measure it now? Yeah. So align it to the measurements that you're doing already. And often they go, uh, we don't. <laughs> Great, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's make that an output then. Why don't we make it an output of the coaching that we agree how you measure it moving forward. Yeah. Or if you've got existing measures, then yeah, you look at how you can measure it against that. I can suggest potential measures. What are you measuring now? Because surely that's what you want it to impact on. Why, why would yeah. we go through all this learning and coaching and come up with all these newfangled measurements? Because how are you measuring it now? So again, yeah, I think it's a great challenge for people because I also actually think it's a great reminder. You might be given certain measures of success. Don't stop there. Uh, I was encouraged leaders, don't be afraid to, exactly what you said before, ask your team, get involved. What could we measure for ourselves? 
yeah, we've got all these other things. What can we actually measure for ourselves that's going to contribute to it? Brilliant stuff, mate. Right, final part of this. Uh, what must a leader never do? I'm going to keep this one nice and short because uh, I think it's it's quite simple and straightforward, actually. I think a leader should never be without fault. And what I mean by that is there's a there's a lot of expectation on, on us as leaders. Yeah. And we shouldn't try to pretend that we're not human. We all get things wrong. And there's a great strength in being vulnerable. And not just, I suppose, admitting um, what your faults are, but where you aren't strong, you know, where you don't have strength and leveraging the strengths, you know, of of, of your people. You know, I think being vulnerable is is the driver of authenticity. And when we think people, you know, are or aren't being genuine with us, you know, that tells us whether we should trust them or not. But I think never be without fault. Never think that you can't make a mistake. You can. What's important is the learning conversation that happens around the mistake. So linking it back into everything we've already talked about. If you make a mistake, fine. What have you learned from it? And I think leaders, we have to ask that question of ourselves as much as we ask that of the people that we work with and that we take in our charge day in, day out. Lovely stuff. Thank you, Jack. Uh, right, let's ask you the dickhead question then, eh? Uh, now, I always take the opportunity to remind people what I'm talking about when talking about dickheads. So the dickhead for me is somebody, a person, particularly a leader, who has little or no self-awareness and demonstrates irritating attitudes and behaviours to others. That's what I'm talking about when I use that term, dickhead. So, Jack, how can our audience stop themselves from being a dickhead? It's a great question. It's it's one of those questions I've been really looking forward to answering. Um, there's a there's there's a I suppose there's a simple approach and there's a there's a not so simple approach. I suppose the the, the easy way to do it is to tell yourself, you know, don't be a dickhead. And you know, some of us probably, I, I don't doubt that any of us kind of wake up every morning going, don't be a dickhead today, Jack. Because <laughs> yeah. what kind of world would we live in if I had to tell myself that every day? <laughs> But I suppose the, 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 the longer answer is actually recognising what does it take to not allow yourself to become one. And yeah. I think it, it links in with everything we talked about already, which is the essence of not being a dickhead is remembering what it's like to be human and yeah. recognising that everyone that you work with, they're just human beings. So the boss who's got a bit of a reputation for themselves who's um, very authoritarian, you wouldn't dare disagree with him because he'll shoot you down like anything. Yeah. Actually, it, sometimes the, the image can be perpetuated far worse than it actually is. You yeah. know, it's like Chinese whip, whispers. You know, the rumour goes round and, you know, it becomes 10 times worse than it actually is. And I think if you allow yourself to remember that everyone's a human being, you know, nothing will ever phase you. Yeah. And I think, What's really important is that we just learn how to have coherent communication and conversation with other people. There's no skill greater, probably perhaps none more than desirable than our ability to communicate coherently. Yeah. And I think it's so easy in this day and age where we're getting lost in, in technology. People want things now, like they went out of fashion yesterday. So yeah. the demands and pressures on us, I suppose, have never really been higher. You know, we live in this age where people are starting to work flexibly. They work from home. But you know, people are also reporting record levels of, you know, yeah. mental health challenges. Yeah. 
and stress and anxiety. I think the it was on the news the other day about the average person takes about eight days a year yeah. sick so, um, on average, 7.8, I think the exact figure was. Yeah. And how can we be in that position in this day and age with the technology that we have and the ways of working arguably are better than they've been 30, 40 years ago? Yeah. And my, my argument to that is perhaps it's, it's probably people. It's probably people that's dr- that are driving that. Yeah. And this is something I really strongly believe in because, you know, I currently work or at the time of the podcast, I'm working for an organization that's in, um, in the life sciences business, a huge global organization, um, you know, 140,000 people worldwide, absolute monstrosity of, of an organization. The scale is incredible, but the work they do is incredible. Now, something that I regularly preach for in my division of this business is that, and bearing in mind the context, you've got a lot of academics, lots of scientists, lots of people coming out of university with bachelors, masters, PhDs even. Okay, yeah. There's a tendency for them to want to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Because as an academic, that's what's driven. And something that I um, use quite routinely as part of any kind of leadership training, you know, when we focus on being a being self-aware and understanding self is this notion of emotional intelligence yes and that actually building your eq your emotional quotient is actually more effective than your your iq your intellectual quotient so there's some research that was done by talent smart that found that actually now in this day and age emotional intelligence is the strongest predictor of job performance accounting for something around 58 percent of success and that if you were to get all of the top performers in any organization in a room, nine out of 10 of them would have what we call a high level of EQ, a high emotional quotient. The same bit of research was really interesting. It actually found that for people with average IQs, but high levels of EQ, they outperform those with highest IQs 70% of the time or up to 70% of the time. Now, what does this mean for your average Joe in an organization or who average joe who's taking the first step on his leadership journey what i'm saying to them is that it doesn't always pay to be the smartest person in the room great leaders are more often than not ones who they're they're not the smartest people in the room but what they do know is they know who their high intelligence highly specialized and most talented people are and they're simply the most effective people at unleashing their talent yeah that's it yeah they know and understand people's strengths And they operate from a point of perspective, which is they don't see someone else's strength as a threat. They actually see it as a complement to their own portfolio uh, of strengths. There's a, there's a lot that we can talk about around, you know, how not, how not to come across like an idiot in front of people, how not to become a dickhead. And I think the secret lies in how we choose to respond. And there's a great yes. quote from from Victor E. Frankel, who's yeah. Austrian psychiatrist. He, for for the listeners who, who are listening in, that he developed psychoanalysis theory called logotherapy, and yeah. that was based on his time. He was in an Australia, uh, oh sorry, an Austrian concentration camp during the Second World War, yeah. and the quote it came out of Stephen Covey's work. But he, the quote is this: "Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our freedom." 
and power to choose our response. Yeah. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I love that quote because it tells us that we are in control on the way in which that we respond to others, no one else. Yes. And it's a microsecond, it's a nanosecond, it's very split split decision that our limbic system overtakes our brain and goes, you know, you need to shout at this person because they've got it wrong and you're in fear of what your bosses will say to you. And actually we have the power to choose not to respond in that way. It starts with us. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pinch all your, your phrases here, Tim, from your book, because, you know, it's so true. You know, it, it does always start with us. It exists in that moment of choice. We have to re-engineer our unconscious, our automatic responses, and we need to dial up our emotional intelligence so that we find a way to genuinely connect with people. And I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that one with a quote. It's from the great Simon Sinek again, who said that be the leader that you wish you had. Yeah. And I thought that's, that's an awesome one. You know, if you, if your leader is a dickhead, I guarantee you don't want them to be a dickhead. So, you know, be the leader that you wish you'd had in that moment. I think there's so much, there's so much powerful storytelling around this particular piece and how we can get people yeah. to be the very best versions of themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, what's lovely actually, what you just said there to make us back to you sharing your personal experience before, because if, if you'd have continued being that leader, then you'd still be a dickhead. And, and actually, right. Even in that situation, when you have that awareness, which comes through most intelligence, you're right, you're able to go, no, this, this is the leader I wish I had. So this is how I'm going to behave. These are going to be my, attitudes and yeah you talked about that so articulately there jack and i think you're right around the most intelligence it's so important isn't it and you're right choosing the response i mean the so the the way i or the reason i use the dickhead or the definition behind it around the lack of self-awareness and the irritating attitudes and behaviors that to me is someone who's reacting so their natural reaction is just purely what they're doing all the time they're allowing the thoughts and feelings to just tell them what to do they're on autopilot completely unaware that they're coming across like a dickhead rightly what you're talking about is everyone has the ability to choose a response mm -hmm. everybody every single leader every single person has that ability to recognize what the thoughts and feelings tell them choosing how it is to respond and you know i, I really appreciate you sharing the the research on there as well because again it just highlights the importance of it that you can have as much natural talent as much developed um, intelligence from an academic point of view, you can have whatever IQ you want. Actually, it's in your ability to respond to your thoughts and feelings that determine how you connect and impact on people. Uh, now, you did mention this a little bit, but I'm going to ask you the why behind it, because the last question mm -hmm. I ask everybody, uh, before we get your book and music recommendation, why must it always start with you? Because no one is as in control of your destiny as you are. And Stephen Covey's book is all about, yeah, those seven habits. They all correlate to lessons in personal leadership. Yeah. And I think starting with you, it, it correlates to all those powerful lessons. This notion of leading yourself before you can lead others, it's a fundamental concept. And actually, it's been the shift in focus of a lot of leadership programs in recent years. Yes. Um, so, you know, if, if I go back five to 10 years, you would go on a leadership development program it would be around giving feedback around how you delegate 
it would be around. It oh, might even be around. Probably. Yeah, yeah. It might even be around development conversations, but there's no context. And yeah. actually, no one at any one point has had any conversation around how are you leading yourself. Yeah. So the and you know someone who is an effective leader, they they are truly self-aware. They're aware of their emotions. They're in tune with how these emotions affect them, but also affect those around them. And if you want to bring out the best in others, because that's perhaps one definition of leadership that we can agree on is how you bring out the very best in others. You have to bring out the best in yourself. Yeah. And it's the self-awareness of these emotions, recognizing those points of stress and pressure, being able to manage those. Cause we all feel it, Tim, don't we? Um, you know, effective self-management as you've kind of um, alluded to, you know, it, it helps you to become less reactive and more responsive. You don't react, yes. you respond. Yes. And I've talked previously on, particularly on this emotional intelligence piece around having a breakthrough point. And so the breakthrough points, um, and if anyone wants to go into Google and type in emotional intelligence triangle, you'll probably find it. The breakthrough point comes through when you're emotionally intelligent, you can apply those self-awareness, self-management practices, but recognize the emotions and feelings of others. And it's shifting those paradigms so you can, understand other people's you know yes. perspective and I'll, I'll i'll mention covey one last time i know he's been a running theme he's just so he's, his work is in, incredible it's so yeah influential but we talked about paradigm shifts earlier and for anyone who's not read the book or listened to the the audio book then you know i'd strongly recommend listening to it reading it but yeah reading that story around the time when um stephen covey was on the subway train Yes, and he experienced that paradigm shift of the man, yeah, and his and his children who came on the train. I won't I won't ruin it for the for the listeners who've not heard it before. But when you truly understand what someone else is going through, yeah, and you work yourself down to a level which you can begin to understand, yeah, that's the paradigm shift. It's the shift in perspective, and it's got to start with you because it can't really start with anyone else. You are yeah. in control of your leadership behaviors the way you manage others the way you respond and react to a conversation to a piece of feedback balls in your court and i think that's why it's so important that you know you we start with the individual rather than with everyone else yeah i could run a whole podcast series on coffee so i'm so glad that i found someone else who's a bit of a super (laughs) fan like me you know you're right but let's not ruin the story because you're right that when you were talking about the story that guy on the subway he's uh, his two kids with him and it literally gave me chills that when you were talking about it yeah and so much of that is because i remember reading that and thinking oh shit yeah of course and you're at the paradigm shift in your own heart and mind it allows you to just really take that moment doesn't it and choose a response rather than a reaction actually be able to look at it from somebody else's point of view whether you know exactly what's going on from or not and actually consider if I was to react driven by my emotions, actually what's the response I'm going to get back. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and you know, you're right. He's, he's been able to, that ability. I mean, I talk about this all the time, Liz. It's something that I, everything I do is around emotional intelligence. So I'm really glad that you've raised this because it, that self-management piece, you're right. Challenging people listening to this, about think about how do your emotions impact on you and how do the impacts on others? Yeah. Awesome stuff, mate. Right. Um, Music and book tab. I'm going to make you. I'm going to make the listeners wait for your book uh, recommendation. <laughs> so we'll do the music first. So what is a song and/or album that everyone must listen to? 
Okay, so I, I wanted to pick something that was meaningful, but something that fits my mould. Because um, I, I could quite easily pick something that's really, really popular, because um, that will you know meet the needs of kind of most of the listeners. But I haven't, I haven't done that. I'm a huge fan of rock music. You know, I was born and raised on all my dad's music, taste of the 80s rock, you know, heavy metal, White Snake, Gary Moore, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, yeah. all of those. And when I was at school, I found my musical passions. I, I, start, I learned to play drums and I've been doing so for about 20 years now, uh, on, on or off, um, whenever I get time to play in bands and stuff. And we talk about high performance and I think that you've got to try and find a way to get people to be in their flow state. Yes. And when you're on stage, it's virtuosic. It's, it's a feeling like no other. You get into that flow state. It's the high performance with, a, you know, low, you know, little to no effort because it feels natural to you. Yeah. The song I wanted to share was from one of my quite, um, quite um, very important musical influences, which is Alter Bridge. Um, okay. So they're a, a modern heavy, uh, heavy metal band and they yeah. wrote a song. It was off the first album called Shed My Skin. Now, I wanted to share this particular song because this song is about new beginnings. It's about finding light in the midst of darkness, finding the energy to get up and start again, reinventing yourself. And yeah. I've used that because it links back to what we talked about right at the start around personal leadership and, and breaking the mold is about reinventing yourself. Yes. You're being determined to start anew, being the leader others need you to be rather than the leader the environment forces you to be so um he rock heavy metal might not be everyone's um everyone's cup of tea it's quite melodic actually it's it's very easy song to listen to but yeah it's a strong recommendation uh from myself top man you might be the first person to choose heavy metal actually you know uh we've had a right eclectic mix we've had classic piano classical music right the way through to your kind of typical sort of soul and Mm. Uh, indie and pop and everything like that so i'm glad i'm glad we've got another musical genre being given a shout out breaking the um, ball which book then mate you've set this up beautifully <laughs> what is a book that everyone must read so it it might be a, a book that you've read tim I, I don't know but it's it's a personal favorite at the moment it's probably out of the last three or four books it's probably the 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 one i found most practical and most useful so it's by a chap called chris hurst and it's called No Bullshit Leadership. Ah, yes. Yeah, I've read that. So uh, where better to share the No Bullshit Leadership book than on the No Bullshit podcast with Tim Roberts? <laughs> so, I mean, what I love about this book, it gets you past all of the corporate bullshit of leadership. Yeah. You know, Chris is an ex-CEO himself. Yes. Um, and the no it gets you past all the notions of debate around you know what leadership is or that leadership is just being good at telling people what to do or creating and selling a vision it looks past all of that nonsense and talks about this is something i hugely believe in is that each and every individual person themselves has a capacity to lead others yes whether they are a manager or not and it's not about the fluffy stuff because it could be about that the book could be about vision and strategy and objectives it's not just about that it's about action too there's lots of practical stuff yes there's loads of quotes um mm. i've shared a couple already i've doodled all over my own copy but perhaps my fave one of my favorite quotes it's not actually a quote at all but it's another bit of maths so 
in this equation, Chris talks about how to quantify your impact as a leader. So, again, if there's anyone listening, you've got a piece of paper and you can write it down, encourage you to do so. Um, the equation goes as this. So you've got leadership impact and that is equal to then you've got open brackets, objectives plus strategy plus team plus values plus vote, motivation, close yeah. brackets, multiplied by action on its own. Yeah. So what you'll notice about the equation when it's written down, actually, I'll, I'll just repeat it again. So objectives plus strategy plus team plus values plus motivation, close brackets, multiplied by action. So what you'll notice about the equation is that all of the fancy, the mission, vision based stuff that we talk about is exponentially enhanced by the action that we take. Uh, so it's not to say it's not important. So you can have a really great vision, a strategy and a really capable team. But if you take zero action, have a guess what your leadership impact is? Yeah. Zero. Zero. And likewise, the reverse is true, isn't it? So you can be only action oriented, but poorly executed vision, no strategy, poor objectives, no plan. And your leadership impact, you might have some leadership impact, but it's significantly reduced. And I, I think that's what's really great about that book. It gives you lots of great practical tips and tools. It's no bullshit. Um, and it links in with so much of the stuff that we've already talked about around personal leadership. So another quote that I'll just share that links in with that um, equation there is around what we said earlier around your ladder being leaning against the wrong wall. If your yeah. ladder's leaning against the wrong wall, you'll only get to the wrong place faster. So that's another quote from Stephen Covey. It's about stopping, taking a moment, reflecting, checking we're going in the right direction. But when you're climbing in that ladder, it's helping others to climb it too. Yes. Yeah, that action that we talked about within the the the, uh, the equation, that could be quantified as how quickly we're climbing that ladder. But yeah, if we're not taking action, we're just sat on the ladder waiting on, right, someone needs to tell us what it is that we're doing here. Yeah. But then if we're all action, no vision, no strategy, we'll soon find ourselves in the wrong place, you know, if and when we ever get to the top. <laughs> yeah, if if we ever do. Uh, brilliant. I, I did have my suspicions it was going to be that book because, yeah, <laughs> unsurprisingly, I've read the uh, drawn in by the title of No Bullshit. Absolutely. It's great, isn't it? I think the bit I liked about it, if I'm right, because he, he has a newsletter on LinkedIn. I'm sure in, I'm right in saying that. Uh -huh. um, one of the things I was really impressed with that's in the book is, like I say, he's an ex-CEO, which I'm always uh, attracted to books that are written by people who have just have been there and done it. And yeah. I don't remember rightly, he was CEO of either of a marketing business and or his expertise was marketing, which yeah, honestly impressed me a little bit more because... <clears throat> I'm not casting aspersions anyone who, who uh, works in marketing. We do know that that's an area where the bullshit can thrive. Yeah. Where yeah, perhaps yeah, yeah. some behaviours are not called out as much because it's all about the end goal and it can get competitive. So, yeah, it really impressed me. And I love, like like you've done throughout the interview, brilliantly, Jack, around that Sir Clive Woodward and the England team. That's what I thought he did, does really well. The practical element of it he demonstrates actually you can be inspired by other people exactly to your point as well, which is really important from today about learning from our experiences and looking at saying, put that into how you work in the, the corporate world and in your teams within organizations. So you're the first person to recommend that. I, I would second it. Really, really good book. Like I say, really practical, straight to the point. 
and and uses real examples for me is yeah. someone who's been there and done it. It's not all the kind of absolutely thing that I should do or should do this. Actually, this is what I've learned. This is what works well. I'll share the moment with you when I decided to buy that book, and it was I was I was stood in an airport lounge in the WH Smiths as you do, <laughs> reading a book, deciding whether do I do I or don't I buy it, and. He he said at the opening chapter of the book, you're probably stood in an airport lounge right now deciding whether to does, or not buy does. this book. And I went, <laughs> I'm buying it then. You've just spoken to me. You've yeah, spoken to me in my context. So why wouldn't I buy it? <laughs> and yeah, I agreed, Tim. I wouldn't have shared it if it wasn't an outstanding read. And there's so much in there around um, uh, culture, um, strategy, having conversations with people. Yes. You know, I meant what I said earlier that, that um, you know, this is this is um, a, a term that I've coined off an infographic that I saw. I thought it was fantastic is that, you know, conversations are the lubrication of learning and development mm. and learning and development is not just a function that sits within the business. It's all around us. It's it's a yes. way of being. So, yeah, real great book. Strongly recommend them to anyone who listens. Awesome. Thank you, Jack. And a perfect note to end your podcast interview on. So thank you so much, Jack. People are going to get so much from this. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really, really appreciate you giving up your time and sharing so much as you have done today. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. See you soon, Jack. Thank you. Hello again. Time for your outro, time for your coaching questions based on the brilliant interview there with Jack Stewart. As I said to you in the intro, I know it'll have made you think about leadership. I know it'll have made you think about yourself. So now I want to ask you some coaching questions to give you the best chance to really go and do something as a result of listening to Jack's interview. Um, and the first place I want to start with this is that bit around the environment for you to be at your best. So what do you need in the environment you work in for you to be at your best. I'd even encourage you, you know, this is the bit, and I often say this on these outros, is get a piece of paper out and write that down. Actually be clear on what it is that you need in the environment you work in for you to be at your best. Because if you get that right for yourself first, it always starts with you. It enables you to then start to engage with people around you to understand what they need to be at their very best and of course that leads us to the next question is about how do you create how or how are you going to create that environment where you and your team can be at your best um i mentioned dickheads in the intro so i might as well mention dickheads in the outro and i want to ask you a question around what jack flagged around what would it take for you to not allow yourself to be a dickhead I think this is a great way of looking at this because it's very easy to be a dickhead. And what Jack's reminder is here is you have to hold yourself account to not allow yourself to be a dickhead. And there's a real, it's important, the nuance in the word in there is not allowing yourself to be a dickhead. So what would it take for you to not allow yourself to be a dickhead? That's actually a great question you could go and work on with your team and actually agree on in the in the environment you're going to work in all the things that you will do to not allow yourselves to ever be a dickhead. Now look, linked to that, and Jack talks about this, is emotional intelligence because you have to be able to 
develop and apply that emotional intelligence to not allow yourself to demonstrate the attitudes and behaviors that make you a dickhead so just as a thought-provoking question how can you develop your emotional intelligence what are the things that you could do to really develop your emotional intelligence as a leader now just sticking on this theme in terms of the environment and your attitudes and behaviors i just want to get you to think about how do your values and beliefs align with those of other people and look, there's maybe a little bit there of just going a bit deeper to challenge yourself about what are you doing to be aware of that? What can you do on a daily basis when you're in a meeting, when you're working with a team, just to start to pick up on what other people's values and beliefs are and how they align with yourselves? Because whether they do or not isn't the most important thing. It's the awareness of it and then considering how that impacts on how you work together and what you can do, particularly as a leader, to demonstrate it's okay for people to have different values and beliefs, looking at how you can actually work together to make sure that environment still works for everybody. Um, I want you to think about how does your impact as a leader shape those around you? So those people you lead at the moment, you know, when they move on from your team, perhaps when they leave the organisation, perhaps when they are the leader in the future, how will your impact shape them as a leader? Um, this aligns to this question because this is really important, particularly as well thinking about those values and beliefs is how can you put yourself aside when you are listening to other people? I think, again, this is a great demonstration of Jack's articulation around leadership and the conversations that you have. And I love the way he said about put yourself aside, because this is often what stops us from listening. It's often what makes it really hard to stop us jumping in and giving advice. You have to put yourself aside if you truly want to listen to other people. So how can you put yourself aside so you are truly listening to other people? Um, it's important to flag up that point that Jack made about leadership being exhausting. So what do you need to do to make sure that leadership is not exhausting for you? Perhaps that's delegating, trusting your team to do more. Perhaps it's more about your well-being. Perhaps it's more about that internal confidence and looking at your perceptions of you to making sure that leadership is not exhausting for you. So what do you need to do to make sure that leadership is not exhausting for you? And the final question to ask you, um, and this is a nice way of summarising really everything that Jack talks about in his interview and those key points I've just raised there with those other coaching questions is, how can you be the leader you wish you had? So whether that's a leader that you've worked with in the past, whether that's maybe you've never had the leader that you've wanted, and instead of maybe moaning about that or being frustrated or down about the fact that you've not had the leader that you wish you had how can you be that leader how can you be the leader that you wish you had role model that for others choose if that's what you want from a leader you choose first to demonstrate those attitudes and behaviors that you wish you had from another leader right i hope those questions have helped as always the most important part of this podcast is by listening to it that you go and do something as a result of listening to it and i hope those questions have helped to drive some thought some actions i'll see you back here on the next episode we've got some more guest episodes coming up for you again as always thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast share it recommend it um, I know quite a few people have been in touch with me and people who I've worked with on team coaching programs when they've listened to the podcast have shared this share the podcast with your team and then have a conversation about the key themes quite a few people have said that really has helped them they've really brought things 
<coughs> to life, particularly from a point of view of that authentic leadership and creating that team environment. So go and do that. Get in touch. Tell me how it works. And I'll see you back here on the next pod. Remember, it always starts with you. Keep smiling. Keep being you.